Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. But now, it's your turn to lift the lid and tell us your favorite story as the Box of Oddities presents Freak Family Favorites. Hi, this is Sam Porter from Defiance, Ohio. My favorite story on the Box of Oddities is a Seattle mystery vending machine. Though it may have left that street corner in front of the locksmith's shop all those years ago, presumably to go back to its home dimension, it has never left our hearts. You know, I have a love for vending machines. Oh, obviously, yes. In fact, uh, Kat bought me an old Coke vending machine a number of years ago. It was really in bad shape. It was all beat up and the paint was coming off. You make it sound like I give great gifts. (laughs) I'm getting to the good part. I asked for that because I wanted to customize it, which I did. I turned it into a Heineken beer machine. It's very cool. We'll post a photo of it. And um, it was actually, it was a fun surprise uh, because uh, Jay had tootled away from the house for a couple of hours and I had it delivered during that time and he didn't know it was coming. So it was good fun. And I spent that next summer stripping the paint off of it and redoing it. And you did I, such a good job. Yeah, I, I got uh, the right logo decals and I had a special insert made so that when it lights up, it says it has the Heineken. It looks great. And uh, now we're trying to sell it. Yeah, you want to buy it? <laughs> well, we just can't get it in our RV. Right. Doesn't make sense. We're, we're planning for the future. But uh, yeah, we'll post a photo of it. But anyway, because of my love for uh, for vintage vending machines, this story stood out. It's a bizarre tale. It's a true tale, of course, and it's about the Seattle mystery vending machine. Mystery vending machine? Yeah. In Seattle, which is in Washington, in the United States of America, for for those of you who may be listening abroad. It's on the left. It's on the left in the upper part of the United States. Um, This vending machine, just out on the street, it's been there for a couple of decades. Oh. And it's an old vending machine. Okay. Nobody knows how it got there or exactly when it got there. One of the local businesses said that they know, and they've been there for decades. It's a locksmith business. They said it's been here for at least 25 years. Oh, wow. We don't know. You know, there's no servicing emblem on it. People have checked uh, with the city. There's no permit on file for it. 
Nobody knows where it came from. I have so many questions. Nobody knows who stocks it. it. Okay, that was one of my questions. It's a stocked vending machine? Yeah, yeah. And it is stocked with unusual cans of soda pop. It has six buttons on it. And normally it would say, you know, Coke or Pepsi or, or whatever. It's just, a, it says mystery on all six of the buttons. And you push one of the buttons and you just never know what you're going to get. Now, first of all, for decades, it has been 75 cents. Okay. Which is way below what it would normally cost in a in today's vending machines. Sure. Especially at an airport. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you, you spend what, on average, $1.25, $1.50 in the U.S. for a for a, a can of soda pop, something like that, seventy five cents, and it's been that way for years and years and years. Okay. And even though the beverages are created by either Coke or Pepsi, they're very often brands of uh, soft drinks that no longer exist anymore. What? Like Crystal Pepsi. Oh my goodness. Or New Coke. What? Yeah. Where is this coming from? They don't know. People have, stu- have have staked out the area to try to catch people. And and again, this is over a couple of decades. Recently, a few years ago, somebody did take a photo, allegedly, of somebody stalking the machine. Okay. But, but they're not sure if it's real. And that's one photo in two decades. Somebody Whoa. has been stalking this, this soda pop machine for 20 years with off-brand, well, Coke or, or Pepsi brand products, but but lesser known ones or ones that have been discontinued. So every once in a while, you'll get a mellow yellow or a tab. Yeah, exactly. That's so cool. And nobody knows why. They don't understand it. It's on the Capitol Hill neighborhood in uh, in Seattle. In fact, it is on the corner of uh, John Street and 10th Avenue East, or it was. It mysteriously disappeared last summer <gasps> after 25 years. And nobody knows why. But did it re like did it reappear? Or did nope. it disappear forever? Nope. But of course, it has its own Facebook page. Of course, now. it does. And there have been photos. People keep posting photos of it all over the world, photoshopping it in, kind of like the traveling gnome kind of thing. Sure. You know, sure. oh here here I am. Uh, I'm at the Eiffel Tower, and it's like badly photoshopped in, and right, you know. the vending machines yep. holding its pinky and its index finger, yep. like so that it looks like it's squishing the Eiffel Tower. Exactly. Yeah, I've seen it. Um. Quick question. Yeah. Where is it now? Nobody seems to know. But I but people, I need it. People are very sad about this. Well, yeah. In the neighborhood, in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of uh, of Seattle, because it has been such a big part of their lives. Well, in many cases, all their, their lives. Their whole life. And the fact that no one's been able to determine why it's there, when it was put there exactly, and who owns it. And, you know, they're not making money on this. 75 cents. And these cans of soda, in some cases, are rare. Like, what do you think a can of new Coke would go for on eBay? Not a lot of money, but it would probably be seven, eight dollars, maybe. I just where some of them are incredibly rare. I just feel like, especially if you're someone, you know, who has, you know, just a little over 25 years old and your whole life that machine had been there and had been dispensing magical mystery sodas to you. Mm -hmm. Because if you are one of those people who gets something that is kind of weird or rare and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you've never had a Crystal Pepsi. Maybe you've never even heard of New Coke or Coke 2. 
or maybe you're like me and you have very special memories connected to certain sodas and all of a sudden you push that mystery button and a Mr. Pib pops out. Yeah. I think they still make Mr. Pib. I'm sure that they do, but I never see it. <laughs> they don't sell it anywhere near me. A lot of these brands. I remember the first time I had a Mr. Pib. Where was that? It was in Florida. Oh, at Disney World. You told me this story. That's right. It actually came up not long ago, which is weird. Um, we were, I was... Uh, you were at Disney during Hurricane Andrew. That's right. I was a small person and uh, my family was at Disney and we were staying at the Port Orleans uh, Disney Resort and... What, they had a vending machine down the way, and one of the sodas that they had was called Mr. Pib, and I had never seen nor heard <laughs> of Mr. Pib before. Wow. So I gave her a roll. I was like, yes, thank you. Click, clink, chunk, chunk. And it was the most delicious soda I'd ever put to my lips. And I was like, Dad! So you, you, you like it even better than Dr. Pepper, which was the original flavor? Because Mr. Pib is kind of a Dr. Pepper wannabe. Oh, I've made her angry now. Okay. Listen, All right. Listen. What I meant to say was that Mr. Pibb... Is an improved Dr. Pepper. Yeah, that's... Sure. No, I like them both equally, just in case Dr. Pepper wants to advertise with us. Sure, sure. Um, Mr. Pibb's better. It's... It's just one of those things that it was it was like I had discovered it. Yeah, it was no one sure. up here had ever heard of it. Mm -hmm. I was still, you know, in Maine in the 80s. Everything was like the 70s everywhere else. Sure. Yeah, we were a little behind about a decade behind. And so um, I don't know, it was the early 90s when I went to Florida. So we were still catching up. And sure, sure. I was like, you guys Seriously, you'll never even believe this soda that I tried. It's called Master Pep. And <laughs> I swear, it's the best. So this was the early 90s, but you were you sounded like an 80s Valley girl because you lived in Maine and were a decade behind the, the trends. That's right. Okay. I had my hair in a scrunchie and a big donut on the front of my head. Nice. It was permed. I remember I was into this weird soda pop in... Uh, Oh, the early 80s. They don't make it anymore. Called Rondo. And it was kind of like a lightly carbonated Mountain Dew. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That sounds horrible. It was actually pretty good. It reminds me. Rondo sounds like uh, the boyfriend of your friend who you just don't like. And he <laughs> never wears like shirts with sleeves. And you're like, oh, fucking Rondo's coming with us. I don't want to go anymore. Yeah. How do I get out of this? So anyway, back to the mystery vending machine. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, the cans of, of uh, soda pop that are, are dispensed are largely flavors that were that have not existed or have been popular since the 1980s. Other uh, brands are like Lemon Lime Slice, Pepsi AM. What's that? I don't know. Is that like breakfast Pepsi? It must be Pepsi with caffeine. That must or extra caffeine. That's the worst idea ever. But I can see how they're like, well, people are usually drinking soda later in the day. How can we get them to start their day with soda? <laughs> how, what, or how do we corner this breakfast soda market? Aha. That's that was me in a boardroom just now. Yeah, I could picture Go that in, in my mind. Yeah. And uh, you were wearing like a three piece suit. Yeah. But you didn't have pants on. And like boots that went up to your thighs and, uh, and fishnet stockings. Wait a minute. And you had like a rider's crop and a pith helmet. Hold on. <laughs> a pith 
<laughs> Suddenly this got very strange. Wow. Well, well, was that out loud? Oh, wow. Anyway, uh, some more obscure drinks have popped out. People have got, uh, let me see. I've never heard of this. Diet Hubba Bubba Bubblegum Soda. Oh, my God. Or bacon-infused Coca-Cola. When did that happen? It has to have been recently. Bacon's been a real novelty thing the last, I would say, 10 years or so. Yeah, it's got to be like probably. It's weird. But it's not always the case. Sometimes it just kicks out a can of Coca-Cola or or a regular can of Pepsi. Oh, wow. But most of the time, it's these weird, less popular or discontinued brands. It's been going on for decades. It's so weird. What about Shasta? Sorry, that's just a, I, well, just I, a beverage that popped into my head that sh- I haven't yeah. heard of in a long time. Shasta is popular in uh, Mexico and South America. Oh, I suppose. No, that's... no, I, I think it, no Fanta. That's what I'm thinking. Of. Fanta is. What's the uh, the the clown people drink? The clown people drink. Yeah, you know, it's the uh, like the it, the clown people. They drink it like it's part of their thing. Wait a minute. Are you trying to cite the number one beverage choice amongst the professional clowning community? The preferred refreshing soft drink choice of merry pranksters? You know, the uh, clown band uh, and and their Jesus juice. What's it called? Insane Clown Posse. Right. Yeah. They're, Juggalos. They're, um, they're, they're beverage that they they love. That is part of their their community. Fago. Fago. Yeah, that's right. Fago. You ever find a Fago in there? No, I'm sure it probably at, at times Fago has. It would be, be amazing. <laughs> those if, clown people. If you got a mystery beverage and a Fago popped out and then your nipple ring got ripped out. Oh, yeah. And everybody on the street starts chanting, family, family. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? It's a gathering of the Juggalos right here on Capitol Hill. Now, because this machine is just a lone machine standing on a street corner. It's not covered. It's not covered. It's just right out in the elements. It's it's all beat up. It's been vandalized. Sure. Um, it's chained to the wall. <gasps> Is it even plugged in? Wouldn't it be great if it wasn't? <laughs> I would love that. But no, it's plugged in, and it's plugged into a, a company called uh, Broadway Keysmiths. And so everybody immediately suspects that they are the ones behind it because mm-hmm. it's sucking the electricity off their bill. Right. But if that's the case, then they've gone way out of their way to uh, perpetuate this myth because for decades now, not only have the uh, owners of the store denied knowing anything about it, but all of the individual employees throughout the years, same story. We don't know. We just don't know. Wow. But they're cool with paying for the bill because uh, it's such a magical treat for well, the entire city. Yeah, it, they, it brings people to the neighborhood because it is now a destination point, or it was until it disappeared. So you can come and you can buy your Fago and get some keys made. Yeah, I need keys made because I went to the grocery store the other day and I lost part of my keys set. And so now I can't open the mailbox. Let's go to Seattle. The machine has been broken into. Oh, no. Yeah, but mysteriously, it was repaired on site and restocked and nobody saw it. Nobody saw it happen. The only instance of anybody reporting having seen the machine be restocked was Was this one time time where they claim a white van pulled up. Then a couple got out, a man and a woman, Mm -hmm. and restocked the machine quickly, locked it back up, jumped in the van and left. And there is a picture out there that reportedly is of that event, but 
that's it. People just woke up one day and it wasn't there anymore. Well, um, I found an article on a site called Today I Found Out. And I guess they were in the area. And so they went to uh, the site. You know, it's a pilgrimage now. Sure. It's a destination site. Is there like something there that that says like this is where the machine used to be? Well, they got there and the machine was still there. And there was a line of people, but the machine wasn't working. It was taking money, but it was not dispensing any any soda pop. So they said, well, we'll come back. They came back the next day. It was gone. And it has been gone since July, late June, early July of 2018. And as of the recording of this, nobody knows where it is. But in the site that it stood for over two decades, there was a sticker stuck to a railing and it said, gone for a walk. That's it. Nobody knows where it is. But nobody knows who's behind it. Nobody knows why. Oh, my gosh. I'm feeling I have so many feelings right now. What if like this sweet old man had this idea of like, wouldn't this be fun? Yeah. And uh, maybe, you know, he used to work for a uh, beverage distribution right. company. And, and so he had these old cans and he was like, what do we do with this? Uh, let's give them to the kids. Look, yeah. Yeah. I got this old machine. Yeah. We'll just plug her in. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Uh. Uh, yeah, and, and he then had, he died. Yeah, and he died. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sad. And then his widow had to go and get the machine. Yeah. She discovered and, his lifeless corpse in the garage in a pile of diet hubba bubba bubblegum soda cans. And she's all like, I'm going to take this machine, but I'm going to leave this sticker here because he's just gone for a walk. And see, yeah, he'll be back. He's just gone for a walk. On the Facebook page. Oh, God. There is a message, and, and the administrator of the Facebook page won't return any messages from the media, so they don't know if it was started by the people behind this. Or, or just people or who just are fans of people it. People are fans. But uh, the administrator, I think somebody in charge of it, had posted, uh, going for a walk, need to find myself, maybe take a shower even. That um, sounds to me like he's going to get cleaned up yep, and return. Yep. That's, that's what a lot of people have been hoping. But we're going on nine, six, seven, eight, nine months now since it's disappeared. Well, Nobody knows. It took you a while to, to revamp your vending machine. I suppose. Well, it was like true. four months. Yes. But I didn't work on it constantly. Well, who's to say old man Jones is? <laughs> oh, speaking name? of which, Jones Soda. Right. They make the best cream soda. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Old Man Jones is the name you've assigned this <laughs> mythical retired beverage distribution company work person. Well, he doesn't work on it all the time because in the um, winters he has to go to Florida yeah. and see the grandkids. Sure. I get so, that. Yeah. you know, maybe in the spring he'll get back to working on it. But if Old Man Jones is so committed to this, don't you think that maybe he would have passed this on to his son and his son's son? And so that's how it keeps it kept going for decades. Listen, Old Man Jones wasn't able to have children. That's why he gave soda to the neighborhood kids. Oh, now it all he makes wanted sense. to share his joy with the chillins, uh-huh. but um, wasn't able to to shoot one out of his lady's stomach. Well, so let's just profile old man Jones. Old man Jones, retired night watchman for a large major beverage distribution company, had a bunch of off brand sodas in his garage and an mm-hmm. old machine. Yep. Decided to set this up for the kids because he shoots blanks. Yeah. He was sterile. Yeah. He was a sterile beverage distribution watchman who recently retired and died in his garage in a pile of cans. No, I've revamped it. He's not dead. Oh, um, it okay. just broke down and he went to Boca. 
And he's not back to fix it yet. Right. Why would he go to Boca in the summer? No, no, it's winter. Yeah, but it disappeared in the summer. Right, but he started working on it. He just didn't have time to get it done. Do you think that Brenda was going to wait for him to finish that before they went to Boca? <laughs> okay, Her, his wife's name is Brenda? Yeah. Okay. She's got to get to that outlet mall. I see. I understand. She's going to get some Banana Republic Capris. And a snappy sundress from Anne Klein. I understand now. It all makes sense. Well, Yeah. So even the guys at Broadway Locksmith and the random employees over the decades claim to have no idea who restocks the machine. They've never seen anyone open it up um, or put anything inside or collect any money for that matter. And these guys are there every day. So whoever this is that was doing it, they were stealthy. I would really love to know what their motivation was. I feel I'm feeling a real Santa vibe about this story. Yeah. I think you're you're probably pretty close to nailing it with your old man Jones hypothesis. Old man Jones and Brenda. Maybe also a little Santa stuff. A little Santa as well. All right. You can find the Facebook page, Seattle Mystery Machine. I just Googled it. 25,079 people like it. <laughs> of course they do. Some of the reviews definitely recommend its beverages. Always cold and a good shoulder to cry on. <laughs> Hell yeah, I would recommend this great machine. The Seattle population loves the mystery vending machine, and they miss it. My one experience with MCM, which Mm -hmm. is what they call it, resulted in a very cold Sprite on a very hot day. Thank you for saving the day. If you return from your hiatus, it would be nice to add condoms to your dispensary. (laughs) (laughs) That started off nice. Mm -hmm. So maybe some of the Seattle freaks have their own stories that they can share with us. At curator at the box of oddities.com. Oh my gosh, tell me all of your mystery machine stories. All of them. This pleases me <laughs> to no end. Why are you broken? I came all the way from San Diego for you. Why are you broken? <laughs> That's quite a pilgrimage. San Diego to Seattle for a can of Mr. Pibb. My friend told me to say it out loud what I want. And if I'm worthy, it will dispense that soda. I requested a Hawaiian punch, and then that's what I received. No kidding. All hail the mystery soda machine. (laughs) There are those who think that there is some sort of uh, paranormal activity at play here. Personally, I think uh, time travel. There might be some kind of a tear in the uh, time-space continuum. And that machine is really there, always has been, but it's just 1972 that's that's just poking its head through into our reality in that one spot it's on It's like Capitol a weak Hill. spot. Yeah. And we can interact with the machine because the membrane is uh, is so thin uh-huh. between those Oh, like on Fringe? Line. Yeah, kind of like on Fringe. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, In fact, I think if you stayed there long enough, you might see Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Cool story, Astrid. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. 
And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. You're listening to the Box of Oddities. The question is, why? Hi, I'm Erica, and I'm from Brewer, Maine. And my favorite Box of Oddities story is the tragic tale of Blanche Monnier, the woman whose mom thought her daughter could do better than the dude she loved, so she locked her up in a poopy rat closet for a quarter century. In the episode, Kat shows Jethro a photo of Blanche when she was rescued, so I googled it. Don't. I still lose sleep. Madame Monnier was a widow who lived in an upper-class Parisian estate with her lawyer son, Marcel, and daughter, Blanche. In 1876, when she was 25, Blanche, a young, beautiful socialite, fell in love with an older lawyer who lived nearby. The lawyer was not as successful as Madame Monnier would have liked for her daughter. The Monniers were upper-class, High society types. What's that A word that I can't think of? Aristocracy. There we go. All I could think of was cats. Air hammer. (laughs) Um, At one point, Madame Monnier had won an award for the Committee of Good Works for her generous contributions to the city. The lawyer, though, was older 
and poor and uh, she disapproved of this this match, this love match. And, but Blanche wanted to marry him. And then Blanche disappeared. There's Blanche. Mm-hmm. There's her mom, mm-hmm. which I don't know her mom's name other than Madame. Okay. There's no there's no mom name. Uh, of course, this is you know 1870s, so a lot of that stuff. You know, she was the wife of so and so. You know how that goes. That was a problem when we were doing our ancestry too. Is that when you get further back, it's all like, oh, it's Tom Schubenheimen, and then. Uh, Lady Schubenheimen. And it's right. like, did from, she not have a name? From the Passaic, New Jersey, Schubenheimens. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, and then Marcel. So time went by. Madame Monnier and Marcel mourned Blanche and moved on with their lives. Years went by, and there was no word on what happened to Blanche. 24 years pass. It's now 1901. The Attorney General of Paris receives a strange, anonymous Note, Monsieur Attorney General, I have the honor to inform you of an exceptionally serious occurrence. I speak of a spinster who is locked up in Madame Monnier's house, half starved and living on a putrid litter for the past 25 years. In a word, in her own filth. Ooh. Wait, so her mother locked her up? To keep her from marrying this guy? We're getting there. Okay. All right. So, of course, the police were shocked by this accusation. Uh, She was a woman of wealth, high breeding, blah, blah, blah. Officers were, though, sent to inspect the house. And although they were denied at first entrance... They forced open the door and got inside. They searched the home and discovered a door upstairs with a padlock on it. They got to the door, opened it up and discovered a dark, tiny, foul-smelling room. Piles of feces no. and dried vomit blanketed the floor. Ugh. The remnants of food scraps, rodent droppings surrounded a putrid straw mattress on which lay a now nearly 50-year-old Blanche. Oh my God, so she was so determined that her daughter not marry this guy that she made her stay in poop for 25 years? Some, I mean, you can phrase it that way. It's. I just did. I right, <laughs> yeah. I I think obviously there's there's more going on, but we'll get to that. Police took her to the hospital because at this point they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know this was Blanche. Wow. They just saw this woman. They thought, okay, we got to get her some help. Brought her to the hospital. And it was when they got to the hospital that they figured out this is the missing girl. Now, was was she speaking? Was she uh, cognizant of who she was, where she was? Or was she just a total, you know? I was getting different reports about that. There's overall, there wasn't a lot of cognizance coming from her. There was an article in the New York Times published in June of 1901 that reads this, and it's so, it's so upsetting. Time passed, and Blanche was no longer young. The attorney she loved so died in 1885. During all that time, the girl was confined to a lonely room, fed with scraps from her mother's table when she received any food at all. Her only companions were the rats that gathered to eat the hard crusts she threw upon the floor. Not a ray of light penetrated her dungeon. 
and what she suffered can only be surmised. Now, how long was she in there after her fiancé died? 15 years. She didn't let her out after the guy died. She just left her in there. Yeah. The idea was that she was told that when she agreed she would not marry this man, she would be let out. And Blanche just kept saying, no, I, I will have him. And her mom just became more and more incensed, if you will. Wow. And then so when he kicked it, uh, the I mean, I'm sure after all that time, you can't go, OK, then out of your room you go. Doot, doot, doot. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb here, but... Mm-hmm. That's some bad parenting. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that it's a mistake, as as we so often do, to say this girl was treated this way because she did this. This woman, the mother, Madame, was obviously a nut job. And that's the thing is so often we hear, um, well, this girl rejected this boy and so he shot her. And it's like, no, no, this boy is a GD nut job and he shot a woman who stood up for herself. You know, that's just so often we turn it around and we create a situation where the victim created the situation. Right. It's victim blaming. And that's not it's not the way that it it goes. So um, this this girl, Blanche. Once very healthy, now weighed a mere 55 pounds. And it was reported that after they got her set up in her hospital room, she was breathing clean air, looking at the light streaming through the window, which reportedly she had not seen in 24 years. And she said, how lovely it is. Wow. So, so what happened? Okay. The next day, her mother was arrested. Um, She did eventually confess to her crimes. An outraged crowd gathered outside her cell as people found out, holy whoa, that's where Blanche has been this whole time. And of course, people had offered their condolences. They had felt the loss of this child with this family. And of course, you know, so they're pissed. And their admonishment triggered a heart attack. Madame Monnier had a heart attack in jail, and she died in the infirmary 15 days later. That's poetic. Blanche's brother, Marcel, was first sentenced to 15 months in prison, but he was later released as he never physically restricted his sister's movement. So he wasn't in charge of the household. He didn't lock her up. He was aware of what was going on. But whoever was in charge there, you know, said that he wasn't the one who did it, even though he knew of everything that was going on. Wow. Which got me to thinking about um, duty to rescue, which I had to look up because originally I thought it was called the Good Samaritan Law. And I guess Good Samaritan Law and duty to rescue are two separate things. And this kind of blew my mind. So generally, a person cannot be held liable for doing nothing while another person is in peril. Which seems completely backwards to me. I feel like if you know that someone's in danger, not doing something is assisting. Yes, exactly. So a duty to rescue may arise where a person creates a hazardous situation where more people may become injured and parents have a duty to rescue their minor children. There are other situations like in certain states, a spouse has a duty to rescue their spouse. And 
in the United States, as of 2009, 10 states had laws on the books requiring that people at least notify law enforcement and or seek aid for strangers under peril. And that's where the Good Samaritan law comes in. If a person is trying to assist in rescuing someone and succeeds, that person can't then sue them for something that happened during the course of their rescue. Gotcha. Gotcha. But you remember a little while ago, uh, maybe a year or two ago, there were those kids in Florida who watched and laughed as a man drowned. Yes. You remember that? I do. There's no reason that that should be legal. Like, I, that, that makes me irate to the point where there's, if you see that someone's in danger, to, to the point where they're going to die, to not act, to me, is just as bad as taking part in their death. And by acting, you know, like in this case, maybe not jumping into the riptide and trying to save this guy, mm -hmm. but notify somebody, let somebody know, don't just uh, point and laugh. Right. Good God. So how long did Blanche live? Did did it say how long she lived after she was rescued? Yes, um, she did. Uh, she was unable to live outside on her own after this, you know, horrendous event, obviously. So she was sent to a assisted living facility, which I think they called a sanitarium at that time, and then died in 1913. So it was 12 years later. And um, her brother, though he didn't, you know, see any justice in in my mind, um, it it's thought by many that he was the one who wrote the letter to the attorney general. Um, so he did act, maybe, a, maybe, maybe a little, um, eventually. Yeah. Well, you think some. he was scared of his mother? It's possible. It sounds like she was a GD nutjob. And maybe maybe she he was afraid she was going to write him out of the will or something like that. That's very possible. Or yeah. lock him up in a room. Yeah, that's true, too. You yeah. don't know. So anyway, that's the story of Blanche Monnier <laughs> and her imprisonment by her mother for love. 25 years. 24 years. 24 years living in... Uh, a small little dungeon-like room. With According to one report, smaller than the a general cubicle size, like like tiny, like enough for like, her to lay down, like and, a closet, like a closet. Oh my god! Tiny. No, no ventilation. No. No windows. No. Just lying in two plus decades worth of poop and vomit. Rodent wow. droppings. Wow. Rotting food, rotting mattress, your did, skin's rotting. How did she survive that? How? It, that's a, who knows? Yeah, I feel bad now complaining about uh, the laundry piling up on the bed. This woman lived in poop for two and a half decades almost. Oh, here's a picture and that's when she was found. Oh my God. That's horrible. She's not wearing clothes. That's the way that her body looks. Oh, that poor woman. It's horrendous. 50 years old. 55 pounds. Why didn't the dogs interrupt us before you showed me that picture? I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. I'm never complaining ever about anything ever again. Yeah, sorry about that. And so, would you like to host your own segment and share your favorite box of oddity story? Just record on your smartphone who you are, where you're from, what your favorite story is, and why, and anything else you'd like to share. 
then email it to curator at theboxofoddities.com. Copyright 2024. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 